Blog Talk Radio. issues that are facing teachers today and parents and also community members and the topic that I try to stick with because I think it's just that important in our culture and in our society is this topic of bullying. The number to call in is 646-595-4965. Again, that number is 646-595-4965. I welcome your calls. Tonight, we're going to talk about some anti-bullying tips that you can use in your classroom. I have 25 tips that are designed to help teachers and also to help the victims of bullying. You can see this as a video on YouTube. You just have to type in uh, the top 25 anti-bullying tips and you'll see a slide presentation that will come up. Uh, You can also go to the website at www.bullyproofclassroom.com and you will find these tips there as well. The lead story, just as an aside, that's on the website right now is about a school district that's in New Hampshire, and it has stopped their students from playing dodgeball. In other words, there's a dodgeball ban you know, in this school district. Uh, students attending the Wyndham schools in New Hampshire won't be dodging balls during gym class anymore. The school district voted to ban dodgeball and other target sports in a recent 4-to-1 decision, according to multiple sources. Now, this article came out of the Eagle Tribune, which is probably a local paper up in New Hampshire. The superintendent is Henry LeBranch, and he said, we spend a lot of time making sure our kids are violence-free. Okay, here we have games where we use children as targets. That seems to be counter to what we are trying to accomplish with our anti-bullying campaign. Read that article that's up there right now. Uh, The the title of the article is called Playground Politics, and I kind of weigh in on this whole thing and give my thoughts on things like competition, resiliency, why win-win is wrong, and how we have to have kids moving and doing things if we want them to be academically successful. Uh, it does this type of thing that w- we're doing right now is is merely it, it, it's it's what I call trying to kill a gnat with a hammer. Stopping kids from playing. I mean, if kids are going to bully, dodgeball might be the venue for it. So you discipline the bully and let's have fun. And I don't think there's any real benefit to restricting certain games. I mean every there's plenty of games that are that are um part of body contact. You have football, baseball, you may even slide and and run into somebody. You have lacrosse. Basketball can be physical. Soccer can be physical. There is a wealth of different activities that kids are involved with that involved some form of body contact, and then he also spoke about exclusion, because when a kid kid gets hit with the ball, he's excluded from the game, and things of this nature. My my point is, l- let's really take a hard look at what's going on, and and not not becoming so picayune about something like this. And this this complaint may have come come from one parental complaint. We don't know. They may have stopped dodgeball because of one parental complaint. That's the lead story that's up on the Bullyproof Classroom uh, website right now. This topic is going to be covered in depth in our next show. So tune in for that. The, t- the, uh, the title of the show is going to be called Playground Politics, and I, and I hope that everyone does take the time to read the article before and weigh in you know, uh, at showtime. 
the we have not been getting many callers, and it has a lot to do with my marketing ability and not getting information out there. But I will say that we do get a large amount of downloads uh, for every show. Twelve, you know, in one week we get anywhere from a thousand to twelve hundred or fourteen hundred downloads of the show. And by the way, you can purchase the transcript of the show if you want. You do that through Blog Talk Radio. Um, and I think that's something that has encouraged me to uh, submit this show to iTunes so we can get more information out there uh, so that people can be, develop greater awareness about this problem that we have uh, in terms of bullying. And, I, you know, I share it all the time. Bullying is no more is no more than a behavior that we see that is relationship-based between children and or adults. As you get into the adult world, it becomes more of an harassment issue and so on. It can even be sexual harassment uh, when you get into the um, workforce, and, and there's a million reasons why people end up you know, trying to pull that stunt. You know, They may have dated while they were on the job and broke up. Who knows? But it is a problem that we are facing right now. It's a problem that the school shootings, the the problems that you have in the school are completely related, that are violent in nature, to revenge. The victim seeks revenge and takes it out either on the entire school or on a certain group of people my whole my whole premise is we need to strengthen the victim as much as we can and i speak about it in this article so that victims can develop coping skills and develop the ability ability to be more resilient when it comes down to handling bullying the idea that you know the, the, and, and and i don't want anyone to get the wrong idea here I want everyone to understand that I support the victim and I believe victims need to be coached and how to deal with these kids that are just unmerciful, lack empathy, and adults too, lack empathy and don't give don't give certain kids the time of day and do nothing but pick. And it is affecting the self-esteem it's affecting um, certain kids' confidence, and it's putting them in a position where where they they are are going to have difficulty moving forth in adulthood, and that's the thing that I'm trying to stop. It's not so much about the victims right now, in terms of what's going. If we can get to them and coach them and work with them, we're going to help them. But what they become as adults is is a little bit more of a problem. They could have trouble holding jobs, dealing with relationships, and a lot of other things because of what happened to them when they were in school. And bullies, if they are allowed to continue, the statistics support it. Uh, I'm not sure about the exact number in terms of the percentage, but... Bullies usually, usually, if they were bullies in school, can have a criminal record by the time they're 24 years of age and may even have been incarcerated by that point. So we have to be aware of what's going on around us. We can't kill a gnat with a hammer by by banning dodgeball. we got to really get, get to the root of the problem and, and help these kids learn how to deal. Tonight we're going to be dealing with the top 25 anti-bullying tips now, if, if you're a subscriber to the website, you've been getting the anti-bullying tip of the day. And what I did was I took the top 25 tips, because there are hundreds of them, and I kind of rendered them down into tips for a teacher that they could use in their classroom, and then tips for victims, things that they can do to help them deal with the problem, with the situation when someone bullies them, either in school or in the community.
So let's take the time to take a look at some of the tips that teachers can use in their classroom. Every one of the tips is what I call a call to action. In other words, you have to do something as a teacher. You've got to do something as a teacher, okay, in order to help deal with the problem of bullying. I take a panoramic view of this problem. I take a very broad view, and I look at it from many different angles, and I want us to be able to tonight focus on some of the unique things that you can do in your classroom that are that is going to help to proactively stop some of the bullying behavior. You never get rid of it all. There's always going to be the 20%. But we don't want to spend 80% of our time dealing with 20% of those kids. So the, the thing that we want to do is we want to begin to deal with some proactive measures that will help lighten the load and make sure that bullying doesn't continue to go on in your class. So the first tip that I have is work to create create a safe learning environment for your students because it's easier to concentrate when you feel safe and it's it, it, when you feel comfortable in your in, in a classroom. A kid who has a uh, a victim who believes that when he leaves the classroom, whether it means to get a drink of water, go to the lunchroom, change classes, maybe at the middle school level, level, if he believes that he's going to be bullied, he is not focusing on the instruction that you are giving to him or her right now. So the environment that you set in your classroom. If that kid believes that when he leaves the room, one of the kids in the room is going to come up to him and give him a hard time, either on on um, uh, bathroom break, lunchroom, other classes outside of your classroom, he's not learning. So kids need to feel safe when they're with you. If you have kids in your classroom who are persistently engaging you and continually engaging you in power struggles, the rest of the class may think it's funny, but they're laughing completely out of fear. You are the field general in that classroom as the teacher, and it's your responsibility to take on every battle that you have, and you got to pick and choose the right ones, and you don't want to end up on the battlefield if you don't have to. But developing the skills to deal with kids who have behavior problems, who pick on other kids, who are unkind, disrespectful, and irresponsible is your job, and that's something that you have to learn how to do. Create safety emotionally in your classroom. The next thing that we're going to talk about is how we can teach kids about productive conflict. You see, it's okay to disagree. Disagreements happen, and I got this word productive conflict from a gal named Robin Odegaard, who just wrote a spectacular book, and I interviewed her, uh, and you can get that uh, out of the archives uh, on Blog Talk Radio, about girls and how they disagree and create drama, and they spread rumors and gossip and so on, Con. Conflict is fine, but it has to be productive, and there has to be enough space in the conversation for disagreement. You don't want to have kids who will agree with everybody, and a disagreement is okay. The next one, emphasize that we are to be responsible for all of our thoughts, our words, our actions, our attitudes, and our motives. Now, you may say to me, well, how am I going to help a kid be responsible for what he's thinking? You don't wait until something happens you, and you say to the kid, well, what were you thinking about? 
you question kids every day, especially kids that you know are known bullies. And you basically ask a question. So what's on your mind today? What have you been thinking about? How are things going? And you spend this little bit of time with these kids to build a relationship so that they ultimately will begin to share with you some of their deeper thoughts. And that's something that I've called and I've used for years. It's called the two-by-ten. Every day, for ten days straight, have a two-minute conversation with a kid that potentially you may not like. Words. Words are killers. Things get said to to me. They could, could be said to you as a teacher. They could be said to you by an adult. They could be said to other kids. We can use words as adults towards kids because we are so we get so frustrated and sick and tired of dealing with with the things that they say and do, and we end up reacting and using words to hurt because of the fact that we're so frustrated. And kids do the same thing. Actions, of course. We are always responsible for what we do. And I have been through it enough to know that circumstance can't determine our actions. What you do to me can't determine what I do to you. And kids don't know that. They just don't know it. What you do to me can't determine what I do to you. See, if if you're a bully and you do something to me and it's not dealt with correctly, my first inclination is to want to get even. We want to get back. We want to get even when somebody does something to us. And that's something that victims who feel as if they're not being supported often will take matters into their own hands. And this is part of, not all of, part of the reason why you have school shootings. Attitudes and motives. Attitudes. We don't discipline for attitudes. We put up with a lot of rolling the eyes and what I call delayed compliance. To me, delayed compliance is non-compliance. Kids have to do what they're told, when they're told to do it, with the right attitude. And our motives, and a kid's motives, always have to be evaluated on a daily basis. And we have to teach them how to do it just by asking certain things like, why did you do what you did? Now, you should always ask to teach responsibility, what did you do? But when you're trying to evaluate a motive, you ask why you did it. And they're usually not going to have a very good answer because their answer is going to be based in revenge or because of what someone did to them. Everyone is driven to do certain things. And when they are hurt, their motives become, I've got to get back and I've got to get even. Kids need to learn and they need to develop an appreciation for the spirit of cooperation, even though they might disagree. And my comment to students and even to parents has been, I am not asking you to agree with me. I just need you to cooperate with me. Because, see, to a kid, if he doesn't agree, that he believes he doesn't have to cooperate. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. And he'll have a lot of problems when he gets on the job. Because his boss is going to ask him to do a lot of things that he's not going to want to do. But he's still going to have to cooperate. Because if he doesn't cooperate, he's going to lose his job. And unemployment is high enough in this country, I think, isn't it? When you think about the number of people that are out of work, I wonder how many of them actually, potentially, may have lost their job because they didn't have the ability to cooperate, even though they may have disagreed. I'm sure there are no statistics out there on that one. Next thing that we have to do in terms of these tips and as a teacher, 
reinforce that attitude is everything. Thoughts, words, actions, attitudes, motives. We have to reinforce attitude. And we have to make sure that kids learn how to handle things in a respectful manner. It goes right back to our thoughts, words, and our actions and attitudes. Now, here's a tough one for us. There is an art to forgiveness. It's an art. Because people will forgive, but they don't forget. I mean, truly, if somebody does something to you, I mean, unless you get amnesia, you're not going to you're always going to remember what they did to you. And the art of forgiveness goes something like this. Someone bullies me, they are forced into saying I'm sorry. You know, the two of us get into a meeting or something with a teacher or someone who's going to mediate the problem. And they get into a a meeting with me, and the bully says to me, I'm sorry. Now, my response to I'm sorry might be, oh, don't worry about it, or it, it could be, that's okay, no problem, you know, or something along those lines. That's not the right response. The art of forgiveness is also something that has to have in it the uh, the victim has to have the ability to accept that apology and then say, I accept your apology, but don't let it happen again. There is a certain firmness that goes along with accepting that apology. And we have to be an example of that. Because kids will always come up to us and say, sorry, I'm sorry. Yes, you're sorry. And I accept it, but I don't want it to happen again. Always remember that if a bully apologizes to another kid, he still said or did what he said or did. He still did it. And again, unless I have like a rotten memory, I'm always going to remember it. So we have to make sure that we teach kids what to say when someone apologizes. There's a certain firmness that they have to have. And again, this all comes from coaching. You have to coach kids through this process. Don't expect a kid to be able to do these things right off the bat. In other words, if you listen to this show tonight, you went to school, he says, okay, this is what you got to do. It's not going to work that way. We have to put kids on the battlefield very gingerly and very sparingly, and we have to give them the time and the ability to develop the skills that are necessary to confront. We are a non-confrontational society. We don't want to confront, which is a whole nother show. I don't like confrontation. But there is a way to do it so that I at least can express my concern and how my feelings were hurt, even though you're apologizing to me. Demonstrate to kids. The next tip is to demonstrate to kids the characteristics of respect. All it is is a matter of beginning to say please and thank you. That's it. Please and thank you. Start off with that. Kids can't say, and we're going to get to this one, anything that they want. They can't say anything. I can't say anything that I want. Freedom of speech, freedom of speech is not 
the freedom to say what you want, but the brains to say what you ought. And you have to evaluate every, and you have to help kids do this, evaluate every situation that they're in and help them determine when to when to hold and when to fold, when to say something and when not to say something. I can't walk into Macy's and scream fire. Well, I can. But you know what that means? I can say what I want with a consequence. And kids need to be held accountable for what they say to other people and what they say in in communities, in public places. Have you ever have you ever heard the language I mean in schools today and the language that kids use even when they're around adults? It's almost frightening. If I ever use the type of language that certain that kids use today around my father, I would have heard about it in a big hurry and I may have felt it in a big hurry. You know, kids that are fourteen, fifteen, they're out on a baseball field, they're playing, they're amongst themselves and they and they may use some off color language. Well, you know what? That happens. And kids will always try and prove their manhood by what they say and how they say it and the type of language that they use or their womanhood. But the bottom line is the language in schools today, the profanity in schools today, the attitudes in schools today are things that people never got away with 40 years ago. Read my book, The New Three R's in Education. You'll know where I'm coming from. We've made compromises over the last 40 years that are unbelievable. There's 10 of them in that book. Another show. Take a look at it. Now, kids need to know, and we need to communicate to them, the qualities of awareness and alertness. We have to teach them how to walk, head up shoulders square, looking out around them, again, taking a panoramic view of a hallway or of a cafeteria and making sure that they can see things and see what's coming and see who's sitting in different places and see who might be talking about them when they walk into a cafeteria. They have to be alert and they have to be aware of things that are going on around them every day. Head up, shoulders back, take a view of the entire hallway, cafeteria, or classroom all the time. Why bullies, when they're victims, when they walk, they're very closed, their head's down, and they're moving fast. People who have confidence have their shoulders, shoulders back, head up, and they walk at a much slower pace. Next one that we have to begin to work on in our classrooms. Let me share something with you. There's four types of communication. You have reading, writing, speaking, and listening. Our formal training as adults when we were in college and when we were in school, high school, elementary school, and so on, spent a lot of time reading, a lot of time speaking, and a, and, um, a, 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 a lot of time writing. We did not spend a lot of time being taught how to be good listeners and kids need to know how to be good listeners, and they need to know what to listen to. They need to know how to listen for detail, and they also need to have one quality that's called empathic listening, where they can listen and put themselves in someone else's shoes. This is something that bullies do not have, and we have to teach that to bullies. There's five types of listening, and as adults, I think we practice all of these from time to time. 
first one is ignoring. And we ignore in many different ways. See, our mind is, is not where it should be when we're involved in a conversation. It's on another planet. Or we're staring down the hall, or we're looking at our watch. Or we're writing at our desk when someone's talking to us. That's ignoring. The next one is pretend listening. And this is what you do with someone when you're on the phone with them and you want to get off and they don't. It becomes that, yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it, you know, and so on. And husbands have been accused of this for years. When their wives are speaking to them and all of a sudden their wife says, you're not listening to me. Well, I am listening. No, you're not. What did I just say? Well, I don't know. Because you really weren't listening as a husband. Next one is selective listening, which is what you do with a two-year-old. You wait for that blood-curdling scream, and then you start listening. Because if you listen to everything a two-year-old had to say, you'd go out of your mind. Next one is attentive listening, where we're listening with, listening with our ears, our eyes, our body, and our mind is somewhere in there. We're paying attention to what the other person is saying. Again, these are skills we need to teach the kids. So they could grow into adulthood and have them. Because it's all part of relationships. The last one is empathic listening. Empathic listening means I can hear what you're saying. I can repeat it back to you. I am listening to you with my mind, my ears, my eyes, my heart, my soul. Everything is in it. And I can visually place myself in your shoes, and I can see exactly what you're saying in my mind, almost like reading a book and being able to get engrossed in the words that are on that page. That's empathic listening. And that's something that we have to train kids to do. My name is Jim Burns. Right now you are in the Bullyproof Classroom. You're listening to Blog Talk Radio. The number to call in, 646-595-4965. Again, that number, 646-595-4965. I welcome your calls. Also, check out our website at bullyproofclassroom.com. Check out the articles that are there. Uh, see if you can you know, gain some, some insight and uh, some knowledge into, the, into the, um, this topic of bullying. Check out that lead article that's there right now. Okay, and um, really get ready for next week when we have a conversation on something that's called playground politics. The next one. We have to help kids role play and reenact potential situations and help them develop the language that will defuse a bully. We have to help kids role play and reenact situations that they can use when they defuse a bully and this is a technique that's called fogging and teachers have used fogging for years and it's part of the bullyproof classroom fogging merely is okay you may agree in principle but never in content you may state both viewpoints where you say to a, uh, a student when they make a statement like this class stinks, you may say, yeah, it does stink, but we got to cover the material. There's a host of different things that kids need to learn how to say. And some of it comes naturally to certain kids, and that's why there's always those kids in a school who can garner the respect from other kids no matter what. I asked my daughter Grace one time, I said to her, gee, how come, you know, you or my other daughter Sarah were never bullied in school? And they they basically said to me, Dad, we just know how to talk to people. You know, and, and we don't take everything all that seriously and we we can react and we can have exchanges and we can do things, you know, pretty naturally. Well, that's kind of what fogging is about. 
somebody, you know, makes a statement, you kind of blow it off because, or if it's an off-color remark, you kind of blow it off, and, and, and you don't give them the power in knowing that the statement affected you as the victim. Then you move forward. You got a big nose. Yeah, it's big. What about it? I mean, it, it, it's just when you are hit with an insult, help kids learn how to respond to the insult in a positive way so that they're not affected by it. And, they, and that comes from them ultimately, ultimately not knowing. Okay, ultimately not believing everything that everybody says to them. So you have to role play with kids. And a great thing to do is videotape certain situations that kids go through. I've been to many schools after uh, of, um, where I've had adult students in my graduate class, the bullyproof classroom, who have taken the role play piece and they've actually put on shows for parents to help them understand, you know, how certain situations need to get handled. The next thing that you want to teach your kids, and this is, you know, it could be for teachers, it could be for parents, it doesn't matter, is that courage is some is like a muscle and that you only have to be brave for two minutes at a time. Lasting courage develops like a muscle that's getting stronger. Okay, and that happens over a longer period of time. Courage is a muscle. It's a muscle. And it's something that needs to be developed over a period of time. And at certain points, kids who are being bullied only have to develop courage for two minutes at a time. The next one, we have to help kids gain a clear understanding of what cyberbullying can do. Cyberbullying is responsible for more problems in this country right now than you can ever imagine. I have a little slogan that I use. It, it says, send like a friend, text responsibly. Kids again hide behind the cell phone, a Facebook page, a computer. And, you know, parents can take the computer away from a kid today. But kids at a very young age learn how to use a computer and an iPhone. They learn it at a very young age. They learn how to use it. So the parent can say, well, you can't go on your computer. Well, they got their phone. It's something that we have to teach kids. We have to teach kids that the cyberbullying can be archived. It can follow them for a lifetime. Employers now are using Facebook as a means of determining whether or not they're going to hire an employee. Certain adults, there was a, a teacher uh, not in New Jersey, and uh, she was on Facebook, and she may have made a off-color remark about her her day that day, like I, another rough day with with the monsters in my class. Well, first of all, she's not very bright to make that comment and put it up on Facebook. But the bottom line is. Someone in her school district saw it, and they ended up firing her. Another gal had a picture of herself, you know, at a party with a beer in her hand. And it became public information. And they ended up getting rid of her. You know, cyberbullying, the use of the Internet, the use of social media, is an absolute blessing in many, many, many ways. But the bottom line, and, and I'll share this with you, it can be a killer if it's not used appropriately. And kids today are so affected by the barrage 
of text messages and things that get said on Facebook and the little clicks that develop, and kids end up getting uh, sent so many of these things that they just can't take it anymore. And that's one of the reasons why the suicide rate is so is so high amongst kids that are bullied. We have to remind students also in our classrooms that fighting is not an option. It's not a solution. It doesn't solve the problem. You will have adults that will say, if he's bothering you, you've got to punch him right in the mouth, you know, and so on. Well, I'm not so sure that that's the answer. I think that having a high level of intelligence and being able to use the correct language and knowing when to walk away because your self-respect is just that important might be something else that they could that, that could be something else that they could use to develop their confidence because I'll be very frank with you adults bully other adults and they cannot engage in a fist fight based upon what was said to them somebody's on the job and they got a problem with somebody on the job and maybe they're getting harassed or bullied or whatever the case might be there are steps that you take you go down and you, and you, you talk to somebody you file you know a charge you do whatever you have to do you can't go punch somebody in the mouth as an adult so why would we ever encourage that in our students remember we're we're training our kids to be successful adults. And I mean lifelong success. When do they get out of the habit of fighting when somebody says something to them? And there are adults who fight, and I'm not going to even get into that, but we have to we have to give kids the ability in terms of their language, their intelligence, and so on, on how to deal with kids when they bully them. Fighting is not a solution. The next thing we have to work on is reporting acts of bullying. Here's my line. If you see it or you hear it, you own it. Now, you may not want to own it for very long, so you've got to figure out a way to dump this off to somebody. But that's where the team approach comes in, and you work with either a psychologist, a social worker, a counselor, the administration of the school, and really take the steps that are necessary to solve the problem if a kid comes to you with it or if you see it. You can't run and hide. You can't say, oh, I didn't see it. If you hear it or you see it, you own it. And you know if you heard it or if you uh, or if you saw it, and you have to take the steps that are necessary to deal with it. Remember that line, if you hear it or see it, you own it. My name is Jim Burns. Right now you are in the Bullyproof Classroom. You're listening to Blog Talk Radio. We are covering the top 25 anti-bullying tips for for uh, teachers and for, for victims. I encourage you to check out BullyproofClassroom.com, which uh, has a great lead article up there right now on playground politics. Take a look at that. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Uh, that's going to be our show next week. I just figured I'd fill you in on that. Right now we're covering these tips, and right now we're on tips for teachers. Listen, teachers have a tough job. I'm not even going to get into, this is one area that they're dealing with, this whole area of bullying. And in New Jersey, it's even tougher with the anti-bullying Bill of Rights and, and all of the responsibilities that teachers have and so on. I'm not questioning how hard the job is. I will always make people aware that it's not so much what the kids are like in your classroom as what they become as adults because bullying is very much an intergenerational problem. And the question that I often ask is, when is the last generation? When is the last generation of kids who are going to be bullies because right now from the time I was a kid it did nothing but escalate so 
when will it begin to go on the decline? Behavior problems have gotten worse in school. Society has got greater issues with relationships, divorce, and all kinds of other difficulties now than they ever did before. And we we deal with things today that years ago we never would have thought we were we would ever have to deal with behavior and attitudes and people with poor motives that they have like we never thought we'd have to deal with them but we are it's in front of us now and it, and it's kind of like you know we just let it go too far and teachers are the ones that are that have the most responsibility in terms of this issue I do get a little fed up with teachers getting blamed for everything. You know, we, we've had to change our entire cafeteria system in schools because of the whole idea of teenage obesity and diabetes. But it doesn't necessarily mean that kids, when they go home, are going to have the best diet. But because kids were overweight, schools had to make all kinds of adjustments. That's cool. I have no trouble with that. But understand, when they leave school, we don't know where where they're going or what they're eating. So we can't accept all of the responsibility for it. And I don't want us to think that we should accept all the blame for this problem. But kids are with us six hours a day, seven hours a day, eight hours a day. We are the ones that are going to teach them. They may not be getting the necessary information at home, or they may be getting the wrong information at home. Here's here's one here, that this one tip that I think we have to communicate to all kids, because sometimes we tend to walk around in a gray area. By a gray area, I mean, is it right or is it wrong? Here's one thing that's wrong. Okay, bullying is wrong. It's black and white. It will not be tolerated in my classroom. It's black and white. Nothing in between. And that's the type of posture that we have to have. We have to make kids aware of that. Certain things are just right and certain things are just wrong. And we can't skirt issues anymore. Black and white, right and wrong. Make the kids aware of it and make them see that you're going to take a stand and that stand is going to be strong, it's going to be powerful, and you're not tolerating any type of behavior that even looks like bullying. Now, for the victim. Who could become the next bully? You know, it's not just a bully and a victim. There's something that's called a bully-victim dynamic. That means a kid could be get be getting bullied in school, okay, uh, bullied at home, and he could be a victim in school, or he could be a victim at home and a bully in school. And sometimes kids who are bullied when they are when they are younger, can grow into adults who become bullies in their family because of the anger that they still carry with them because of what happened to them when they were kids. So we have to be aware of that. We have to be aware that victims can exercise their anger in many ways, and you may not even see it, but they could grow into it. First thing that we have to do with victims... Help the victim identify the difference between jokes and serious statements. If you saw the documentary Bully, you know that there was a young lad that was in the documentary. As a matter of fact, they had to stop the filming of the documentary on on the school on the school bus that he was on because he was getting beat up so badly. And the kid went home and said to his father, "I got beat up on the bus." 
And his father said to him, when are you going to understand that these kids are not your friends? And this poor kid said to his father, well, if they're not my friends, then who are? And we have to help kids understand the difference between jokes and serious statements and things that get said to them. And they don't have to feel like they're part of a crowd because of the fact that they are getting picked on while they're in the crowd. Because kids will always want to be connected to something. So, as a victim, understand jokes, serious statements, and and, and you'll know. As a victim, you'll know. Do you know why you'll know? Because it'll it'll be based upon the knot that you feel in the pit of your stomach or the disappointment that you feel that someone made a statement to you that was just that hurtful. Next one, choose friends friends with caution. Sometimes they can be bullies too. If you if a victim could do one thing, if a victim could do one thing, okay, I would want them to have one good friend. One good friend. That's all I'd want them to have. Someone that he could hang around with, he could talk to, he could enjoy time with. And we have to teach kids levels of friendship. I, I can always remember my my oldest daughter. She would be around somebody for about two hours when she was about six or seven years old, and and the person would become her best friend. And that's kids, I know. That's stuff that happens all the time. You know, but you have different levels. You have acquaintances. Then you have friendships. Then you might have a more of a serious friendship or intimate friendship. Then you have relationships. Then you have intimate relationships with different people. And kids need to know how to share how to share information with the right people, not give information out to certain people because it could be used against them. And sometimes we can think somebody's our friend, but in reality what they do is they take information that we gave them. They may share it around the school or may they use it they may use it to pick on us as a victim down the road. Next thing victims need to do is walk away. I shared that earlier. I'm sharing it again. Victims need to walk away. Your self-respect is more important. If anyone believes that by standing there and taking verbal abuse shows some form of courage or intelligence, it doesn't. It shows that you don't respect yourself. You move away from a situation until, as a victim, you develop the ability to confront and deal with certain issues. Don't feel like you're um, you're uh, being cowardly. Certain things require us to walk away from, especially when we're being verbally abused. Next thing that victims need to learn how to do is acknowledge their strengths. And don't let frustrations grow inside of you. Not everybody is as smart as another. There are kids that are just plain smart. There are genetics that are tied into intelligence, into the ability to participate in sporting events, you know, and so on. That's great. But what you want to do is you, as a victim is to figure out what your strengths are and what your talents are. And don't let don't become frustrated when you fail because failure is just one of these things that happens until you learn how to get good at something. And it doesn't matter what you become good at. It's what you become good at that helps build your confidence. Next one goes back to my uh, piece on forgiveness. 
accept an apology only if you think the bully deserves it and accept it and say to the bully, do not let it happen again. Again, as teachers, going back to my original statement earlier, coach kids through that because they don't know how to do it. Coaching is the key piece to this whole thing in terms of helping victims deal with bullies. Help kids learn and work with kids to express their anger appropriately. Anger is just nothing more than a God-given emotion that people have. And anger turned inward can lead to depression. So expressing it appropriately is important. And kids need to learn how to do it. And all I have to do is say, I'm angry. I am upset. And use their words to let people know how they feel. Too often people deny it. Uh, why are you so angry? That I'm not angry. Well, m- maybe you are. And you may need to just say something about it or talk to somebody about it. And victims need to learn how to do that. This next one is something that no one talks about. Kids need to learn that if something happens to them and they are victimized and they're victims of bullying, that they have to write it down and they have to journal and they have to keep track of when things happened to them that affected them. Because just as a teacher can bring in paperwork to a meeting when it comes down to dealing with a parent, the victim needs to have documentation as well. Because a kid could be wrong once, wrong twice. He's not wrong all the time. And he has to be aware, okay, that the document, the information that he has, okay, when presented is accurate. But teach kids to journal. Journaling is good too because it, it helps kids get out some of the frustration and the anger. Next one. Study people. Learn how people that you admire overcame adversities. You know, I'd like to think that as parents that we taught our kids how to overcome adversity. And I hope that they could, and I would like to think that they could learn it from us. But help kids find, and we have coming up in uh, in, in the movies, this this next in the next few days the Jackie Robinson story he overcame adversity he was bullied he was picked on he was abused he overcame it it's a great story to have your kids read as a victim face your fears by trying to figure out what you're really afraid of when i was an administrator years ago the one thing that i could never stand was having someone yell at me especially a parent I had to realize that fear, and I had and I had to deal with the fear, and I had to deal with the confrontation and everything else that I was going to be involved with. Kids need to learn how to do the same thing. What is it that you are afraid of? Are you afraid that what they're saying is the truth? Well, if it is, then maybe you got to do something about it. But if you're afraid of a person, If you're afraid of a person, you have to recognize that, acknowledge it, and learn how to deal with it. Next one, seek help. Don't take overwhelming matters into your own hands because if if you're not skilled at dealing with it, you won't know how to deal with it, so you have to get help. And the last one that victims need to learn how to do is they need to learn how to archive any threatening text messages, emails, Facebook posts, in case they're needed later. They need to save everything. A victim needs to save everything and be able to use it when they go forward, when they have to confront the bully, potentially in a meeting, or if if their parents, it's young kids, if their parents say, you know, I'm going to file charges and I have the information right here to do it. Because bullying is something that you can file charges 
um, with the police for, and kids need to be aware of that, and their parents need to be able to take those matters into their hands and, and help their and make their kids aware that it is going to be handled. My name is Jim Burns. That was the top 25 tips for bullies and victims. I am thrilled that we got through this show tonight, and I was able to cover it all. I'm going to see you guys next week. Take a look at the website. Have a great week. Be well. Enjoy the weekend, and we'll see you soon. Let me tell you now